0: everybody and welcome back to another episode of Full Court Press. I am one of your hosts, Nathan, and I am joined by hey, everybody, Roman, glad to be back again. Awesome. So, we're recording this on February 20th, the day the the day um Georgetown men's basketball's victory over Seton Hall in their home game. Uh we will get to the men in a second. But first, we have uh, we have some action on the women's side that we that we need to cover. Um, they have had a rough go of it. Their last five games, losses to Marquette, on and Creighton, and uh, getting swept by Seton Hall. Roman, what are your thoughts on this team um, so far?
1: I mean, honestly, I'm gonna be honest. A little impressed. Uh,
0: yes, it is
1: five losses. I um, I'm not gonna deny that but you know we've been close in every single game for at least a little bit I mean UConn ended up showing their class but we played really well against them in the first quarter and most of the first half honestly before they pulled away in the second Um, Georgetown probably should have taken the win in the second game against Seton Hall um, and the game against Creighton both fantastic chances to win Uh, just couldn't get the job done Um, I think we've really started to see Kelsey Ransom come into her own um, as one of the lead guards. I think uh, ever since Milan, Bolden Morris has come, Yasmin been, Ott has been coming off the bench and she's been pretty good in that role. Um, but I mean, the future of the backcourt there is definitely Ott and Ransom and they've both been impressive. Um, but this is a team that, you know, is one of the worst in the Big East as it currently stands. We know we knew this going in and I, I think there's been a lot of good development. Um, I think we've been seeing turnovers slowly kind of start going down. Um, there's still bad days, but overall I think it's been, um, it's pretty good development. What have you been seeing?
0: Yeah, I, I think that, um, I think that I would have to agree on the development portion. I think coming off the bench might be a little bit of a better role for her as kind of bringing a little bit of energy coming off the bench and, Maybe starting was was a little bit too much, and playing heavy minutes was a little bit too much for her at, at the beginning of the season. Um, another lineup change that's been pretty common is that um, Taylor Bauer has started has started to um, get in the lineup more often um, and start. And uh, what what this team really go? I know I know like we like to see Kelsey Ransom and Yasmin Ott. Um, you know, play like the exciting players that they are and get up and down and, uh, and compete hard against the best of the best. But this team really goes with um, Jillian Archer, Grace, Ann Bennett kind of feeding each other, being the, being the leaders and um, scoring inside and then opening up opportunities on the outside. So uh, I would say that their play is kind of most critical to the team's success. And, like you said, um, they they've been in every game that they've played since um, since we last since we last spoke. Uh, they just they just haven't found a way to close, and uh, I think part of that is just you know having a young team um, where when you're when your leaders your your kind of go to players are um, sophomores, and then Milan Bolden Morris who. Uh, isn't necessarily the most efficient player in the world. That's, that's kind of what can happen in these, in these close games when you need a bucket or you need a critical stop.
1: That's a game they should have won. That's the game. I think as they get a little, as they, as the team keeps developing, they'll, they'll start winning. Um, But it's, it's a little tough to see these losses, Um, but you got to remember it's a development year and, you know, getting to play teams like UConn, it, it only helps. It's not going to, you know, they know what the score is going in. They know what it's going to be like and there's a lot you can learn out of that. Um, and I think they've done a really great job at show. Yeah, def- yeah,
0: definitely. Definitely. Um, and you kind of, you look on the other side to the, um, the second Seton hall game, the players taking, and, and really the first Seton hall game as well, the players taking the shots down the stretch for Seton hall um, they go to Desiree Elmore. They go to Andre Espinosa Hunter. These are players who have been through the battles, um, upperclassmen who play with a lot of poise, who have a better understanding of situational basketball at the Big East level, at the at the speed that they play the game at, just because they they have more experience. And going back to your point, the um the only kind and you saw that too. A little bit in the in the loss to Marquette uh they went to they went to I think it was King and um Lauren Van Clunen a lot and so yeah it's it just it just takes experience and it's a it's a painful way to learn especially with just stringing a lot of losses together but um it's it's something that has to happen. And,
1: and I think Georgetown has been, you know, they've started doing some of the little things a little better. They've been out rebounding teams. Um, they've been cutting down on the turnover as best they can. Kelsey Ransom still has a penchant for throwing the ball away, but she's getting better. Um, the thing, the thing is I'm looking at this team and I'm trying to think like, who's this, who's the core here that might lead them back to the tournament someday. Um and I think we got Ransom and Ott, and I think we have Grace Ann Bennett, a sophomore, uh, still there's a couple of years left. The rest of the team, it's a little, you know, they're either older, they might be around for an extra year of eligibility, or they might not, however that goes. Um, I don't think anybody quite understands how it's going to be like in terms of seniors transferring and such. Um, those are the three you can kind of count on, but everybody else hasn't really shown enough to be, you know, members of the next, you know, good Hoya team. Um And I I know it's, you know, it's a slow process, you know, especially with all the transfers we had leaving last year, you know, Howard kind of had to start from scratch and that's a tough thing to do. Um, But I think coach Howard's done a fantastic job this year.
0: Yeah. um, I might, I might pump the brakes on the tournament talk a little bit. They, they, I don't think they've made one since Sugar Rogers was on the team. And like two years ago they had, a core of Deanna White, Dorothy Automako, Michaela Venson. And then before that, they had Cynthia Petke and still still were kind of kind of a, a WNIT team and not necessarily the tournament. So it takes a step up from those players. And that's that's not like a shot or anything. It's just making the tournament is hard. Like like the field seems large and with the way auto bids work in like lower tier conferences for for lack of a more respectful word um it's just hard to make the tournament you kind of have if you if you want an at-large um you you either have to beat uconn in the big east tournament or 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 win an at-large and to be an at-large you have to you want to be at least like top 40 top 35 so so that's that's kind of a difficult proposition um but you just want to see growth out of this team. You just want to see him you just want to see him get better. And um, and you just want to see him compete against, you know, UConn, the best in the country, right? And holding them to 64 points in the second matchup with Paige Beckers, although they were they were a little bit tired that day. It was their fifth game in 10 days, I think. So um so they so they might have they might have been um they might not have been like hundred percent but being able to have that kind of effort and being able to consistently compete against number one is uh, is a step in the right direction.
1: little recruiting update for the women's team it's not that easy to find recruiting news for the women's team um, like it is for the men's team where it's very hyped up but got some intriguing prospects coming in next year. Uh, Howard definitely was recruiting for height um, has three players coming in all six two are taller. Um, all players that can kind of play in the low post and the high post with a hope that they can expand the range. Um, Kalia Myricks out of New Jersey um, is a player that can play in that high post. That's where she's thrived in high school. Um, That's something that uh, the Georgetown women's team right now doesn't, you know, seem to really use as much, but they could definitely use a player like Myricks to come in. Uh, Ariel Jenkins, um, you know, women's basketball prospects rankings are very, you know, you're, you have players who are on no, no other list that are on some. Uh, she was ranked 85 by Prospects Nation, which is a pretty good women's basketball recruiting service. Um, but she seems to be a bit of a force in the post. Um, who likes to see a physical, um, which, you know, will good, be a good team up there with uh, Grace Ann Bennett. And then Brianna Scott out of Reston, Virginia, um, daughter of Maryland, uh, basketball hall of famer, Christy Winters, Scott, and you were Miami player, Jerome Scott. So she has the pedigree and Howard loves her says she's going to be one of the most versatile players to play. She's six, four, but she can stretch the floor. You know, I think there's definitely hope, um, especially given what they got out of odd ransom this year, two players kind of flew under the radar, but really been able to give big minutes. They're going to have a chance. Um, and then the last they got is a walk-on, Natalie Jasper, who's a bit on the shorter side, but should give a, um, should hopefully compete for some backup minutes next year. We'll see how that goes. You never quite know what a preferred walk-on is going to do. Um, but yeah, it, it's looking a little, it's looking good. It's a good recruiting class for next year. And I think, you know, like, like Howard said all year, it's about development. And I think we're still working that direction.
0: Yeah, and you also have to consider that this is that like even even regardless like regardless of if, if it's a development year and we had so many like tra- players transfer out we you know we're we're playing in a pandemic we're having we're having all these new faces and in the last game it was literally postponed it was literally postponed at the last second to an eleven a.m. morning start. And so it's like they're playing this situation under an impossible set of circumstances. And I've probably said this like every episode this season, but and and it's it's hard to like keep saying it. But the reality of the situation is that this is that is that like it's virtually impossible for for the for this team to, you know, for, for this team to like be reeling off wins in a tough conference with some of the best programs in the country. And so you just want to see that development. You want to see that growth. You want to see them make, make better decisions, but you have to understand when they don't and you have to understand when these close games don't go our way. And something coach Howard said post game was that uh, he was really happy that they, they always, they're never short on like heart. They're never short on competing, um, and, and the winds will come and they're, they're not playing like their record. That's something he, that's something he emphasized. They are not playing like their record. It's just that in critical situations, when you haven't been through the battles and also you're playing in an environment like this, you know, it's, it's totally un- understandable for freshmen to play like freshmen and even for sophomores to play like sophomores, to be quite honest.
1: Oh yeah. A hundred percent. You know, limited practice time team was shut down to start the year. Um, Obviously such a strange year. Um, You know, it's really, it's really impressive what they've been able to do. And like you said, you know, they're a Georgetown team. They have, they have heart for days. They're never gonna, you never feel like they're giving up on the game. Um, Even, you know, they're playing a team like UConn where the line was like 32 and a half or something like that. They they feel like they can be in it. And that's really impressive to see. Um, but not only do the women feel like they're always in it, the men also feel like they're always in it. Um, we're taping this right after um, a big win against Seton Hall. Nathan, what did you see today?
0: Yeah, we're taping this uh, after a big win. I think it's a, fu- I think that's a funny word in, um, in, in this brave new era, but um yeah I I saw like you know how every every Georgetown game where they're up by double digits um with like 8 minutes to go in the first half and then and then the other team kind of pulls it back but pulls it back around halftime around the start of the second half and and then and you know it's over like they they did a really good job withstanding the run but um they continued to shoot well the whole game they shot over 60% from 3 um 10 out of 16, which by my calculations should be around uh, 62.5% from three, 50% from the field. And you're not going to lose that many games when you shoot like that. And they, they they played real unselfish basketball. Obviously, they've still got turnovers to clean up. But this is a great, great win against a desperate team that really, really needed one.
1: Oh, yeah, um, it was definitely, you know, they just kept, you know, withstanding the runs and they, they did well. They were not the team in foul trouble today, which uh, is not usually the case, um, but they were able to get um, Seton Hall's guards, uh, Shavar Reynolds and um, Terry Samuel in foul trouble. Um, and, you know, that that definitely paid off, especially near the end of the game. Um, and you know, they just, they see for the most part, they did the little things right. Um, and that's really what makes the difference. They made that extra pass. They picked up that rebound, especially in the second half, they really cleaned up. Um, they allowed 10 offensive rebounds in the first half, only six in the second half, um, and jacking up their offensive rebounds as well. Um, it was just a really good team win. And I think they're, they're starting to find their rotation, even though I think carry should get more of, delays minutes. Um but overall, you know, this was one of Javon Blair's worst games of the season. Maybe one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. And they were still able to win in a pretty convincing fashion. Pickett really stepped up today. This this might have been his best game of the season. You know, that's and that's what you expect out of your veteran leaders. One one player is not playing that great next man up.
0: Yeah I mean y- you know that you know that like Jamarco's due for like, five or six or seven games a year where, where like, baby Durant comes out, right? And, 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 it, and it was just so infuriating for me as, like, as a nerd. It was very infuriating for me to see Jamarco pump fake, take one step inside the arc, hit the wide open mid-range, horribly inefficient shot, and it kept going down. Eight of 11 shooting uh, on the day um I think six of nine from two two of two from three and you know Jamarco Jamarco really did Jamarco did really pick uh pick Javon up and and um one of five double digit scores from the game uh Chudy, Dante Harris Kudis Wahab and uh, Donald Carey were the others um Dante Hey, Harris stocked to the moon. Seriously, like he he's. He's everything you would want in a point guard looking picks his spots when he when he has them always looking to get his teammates involved. Only thing on his mind is winning. Ridiculously engaged on defense. And he plays like he plays like he's a seven footer, even though he's six foot.
1: Oh, Dante Harris had an exceptional game today. 14 points, seven rebounds, eight assists, was all over the court. Like you said, Pixis bots was two of three from three. And, you know, there were a couple of times he made that extra pass, which really paid off. Um, and you know, like we were talking about in the women's game, you know, he he hasn't been in these situations before, these late game division one basketball games. And we kind of saw that a little bit at the end, especially in the last minute. There were some truly boneheaded passes. Um, but that didn't take away from the entirety of the performance for me at all. That's something that, you know, they're going to go back. They're going to watch film. Pat's going to be like, what are you doing? And he's going to be like, I don't know. And then they're going to learn for it. It's not going to happen again. Um, you know, he's, he's turning this into his team. You know, he's not a ball dominant point guard, but he is able to hold on to the ball, dribble it out, wait for the shot clock to go down near the end of the game. Um, he was, you know, starting a lot of action with like 12 seconds left in the shot clock, clock after dribbling at the top of the key, trying to get some time going. Just a tremendously outstanding performance by Harris, um, especially for a guy who doesn't. There's no one really behind him. You know, their other, you know, point guard is Blair handling the ball coming off the court. So Harris played 37 minutes. He's playing big minutes every game, and he's getting better every single game.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that you just you just can't sing enough of Dante Harris's praises. He's, he's, he's been remarkable playing, playing, taking such, such a heavy load as a freshman. And as an unheralded freshman too, like it's, it's very clear from his defensive effort and, and from the way he rebounds as well, he plays to the chip on his shoulder. And like, I know we're, I know I'm getting dangerously close into like basketball archetype, analysis which is not good um and oftentimes wrong but Dante Harris just just has that dog in him everybody can see it and you know Jagan Mosley the ultimate competitor can see it and so so it's it's been a joy to watch him play this season um he's definitely earned earned the starter spot to start next season um and and the team is just really buying in they've been very unselfish um, save for one, they've been very unselfish since this um, since the COVID pause. Save for the uh, loss against Creighton, uh, but they got right back on track with wins against Butler and now um, tonight a win against Seton Hall, coming off the uh, one week layoff. And I I I don't know. I, I I think that I think that their shot selection and just the way that the way that they've been as a team has really, really improved since the uh, COVID pause.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. You know, you see it every game. They're not, you know, there are times where you're like, okay, well, you know, slow it down. But every time I think that like before they would just keep going, 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 I'm like, come on guys. But you know, every time they have a, a, a possession where it's like, what are you doing? They'll be like, all right, let's calm it down. That was dumb not the end of the world and i think that's been the big thing is that they've really been doing their best to to slow down the opposing team's runs to really you know respond quickly and but you know not in a reckless way and we've seen that pretty much in every game um i i'm 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 just kind of throwing out that creighton loss they were due for a letdown they've been playing high emotion games creighton's a good team who wanted to avenge a loss needed to maintain their tournaments that is their top 25 status. That game, I knew it was going to be a loss before we started. So, you know, but putting that bracketing that game out of there, the easy win against Butler, it really didn't feel in doubt for most of the way um, after um, a sloppy first couple minutes. Hung with Villanova till the end, just like they did earlier in the season. Fantastic win against Creighton, obviously, the first time, and fantastic win today against Sean Hall. And I think. You know, it's definitely a – it's a, a cliche to say that anybody in the Big East can beat anybody else because DePaul's there. Um, but Georgetown legitimately could say they can beat anyone else. You know, Villanova's a step above, but they're cold for an extended period of time. Georgetown's hot. That could happen. I really think they could beat anyone on any given day.
0: Funny that you should mention um, that – funny that you should mention DePaul because as we speak – they are up. They're winning at St. John's by eight with less than five to go, uh, and they've kind of they've kind of controlled most of the game. We'll see how that one ends up because if they do get that win, that's a crippling blow for the conference as a whole in terms of tournament bids. Um, because St. John's is like officially it, it, it is over for them if they drop a home game to DePaul. Like let, let's let's be real and Seton Hall taking a loss on the road at Georgetown is not, that's not a great look for them either. Um, but yeah, Georgetown is just, they've played really well after the, after the COVID pause with Chudy Abile in the uh, starting lineup. And, and uh, I think that as long as Chudie plays within himself, brings the energy, doesn't put the ball on the floor too much, uh, Get, like uses his dribbles efficiently to either get to the basket or catch and shoot. Like he has a role on this team and an important one. Right.
1: Blay is a infuriating player for me um, because he'll make two plays, you know, a travel or an offensive foul. And I'm like, I'm done with this guy. Then he'll come back and just knock down an ice cold three. And I'm like, okay, this guy is a real deal. And it's just, you know, because, you know, the the concept of Chudy is, is fantastic. You know, he's got stretch four who can, you know, play down low if they want to go small. It's it's a little rough there on the defensive end and the rebounding side, but he's a, he can shoot from outside. He can make a big defensive plays, can knock down a free throw. Um, and like you said, if he plays with himself, if he doesn't try to do too much, you know, I think Georgetown has six, at least six legitimate guys who – can compete in the Big East, um, starting lineup plus carry. Um, and I thought I think Ego Hefe, every single game, is improving a little bit. Um, and, you know, at the beginning of the year, any minute that Wahab wasn't in was a minute we were going to lose. Now I don't feel that way. I feel like it could go either way, depending on how the rest of the players are doing. And so this is definitely a team that I, and I think the biggest part coming out of that break is that they started figuring out what their roles were. They started realizing like, this is who, what I need to do to make this team succeed. And, you know, a lot of respect there to Coach Ewing for kind of getting the guys to buy in. You know, when, it, when a season seems like it's starting to go down the rails, there's a lot of, well, I'm going to get mine, you know? And it really hasn't gone that way. And, you know, the epitome of a I'm going to get mine player, Javon Blair, is perhaps one of the least selfish players on the court right now. And it's really, really impressive to see. It's such an impressive turnaround.
0: Yeah, you know, present company excluded. Um, I can I can remember a lot of people who uh, were less than enthusiastic about Coach Ewing. Um, not only not only his hiring in uh, twenty seventeen, but also also the way that the team had performed uh, the last couple of years, and with all the tr- with the um, with the transfers leaving. But I I had never really. I don't think I I don't think I ever really bought into that I think coach Ewing has done the best job that he can maximizing the potential of the talent around him and um, this year this year is definitely showing that they're hey they're five and seven within the conference like within a conference that's you know hard to be a 500 team in right and so um, and, and they have they've collected a they've collected wins against good teams, a win on the road at Creighton, a win against Providence to spoil their tournament hopes, a win against a win against but, a solid Butler team at home. Um, obviously, the Seton Hall win, a win against St. John's in one of the craziest games of the year, which honestly feels like a long time ago, but um, a win against St. John's, which is no slouch of their own, although they are losing to DePaul. Um, like, this is – for this team to have been so underestimated, uh, it, was, it was definitely an error in judgment because we do know that any, any team coached by Patrick Ewing is due to collect some unexpected wins and due to give their best effort most nights.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I think you, you hit it earlier about how undervalued the big East is. I don't know if you said it on this podcast, if we were talking earlier, um, you know, with the, the way that everybody's kind of beating each other, you know, this is, this is a conference that may only have two bids. You know, if things go monumentally wrong, it might just be Nova and Creighton because Seton Hall is 13 and nine. Now UConn's 10 and six, if Georgetown can knock off Yukon one time or two times, it's not a good look for them. St. John's losing to DePaul. Xavier's four and four in the conference, and I honestly have no idea what's going on with them. Um, you know, this is a conference that when you look at it from the view of someone who's not watching these games every day, it's like, okay, they're, you know, they're just beating each other up. They're all pretty bad. But it's honestly because they're all, they all have an identity. I think that's the best thing you could say about the Big East. It's not, you know, it's not all the five stars come to the Big East, but every team there has an identity. Every team there, has a way to win. And when they can get in their groove, they're going to win that game. Um, and that's pretty, pretty crazy to see and pretty fun to see. And that's why the games are so fun. Um, and that's why I think the big East tournament is going to be absolutely bonkers this year. Um, because I, I honestly have no, no idea what's going to happen.
0: Someone's someone unexpected is going to make a run in the big East tournament. I, I, I would not be surprised to see it in this abnormal year um, in in a season like we're having, I would not be surprised to see one team pull off a crazy run um, in the big East tournament. And something else I wanted to circle back to um, was that at the beginning of the year, Jamarco told us this is the most versatile team in the big East. And like, I kind of heard that and I rolled my eyes. I was like, I, I was like, I was like, to one, to one degree, like, what's he going to say? Like, Oh, they're not, Oh, we're not versatile. Like (laughs) we're all role players, but at the same, but at the same time, it's just, it was a little bit hard to believe at the beginning of the year, just because the talent level was not the same as it had been in previous years. But I think they're I think they're doing a pretty good job of proving it. Like, I think that I think that we're seeing, we're seeing, a lot of different roles for Jamarco, for Dante Harris, for, for Javon, who's, who's been, who's been unselfish, have been a bit more of a, of a distributor uh, as well as a scorer. And so, so I think that, I think that they, they, they did not buy into the idea. They did not believe that they were, that they had less talent than the other teams. They did not believe that they would finish last. And honestly, it's, it's been, it's been a tough go of it in the last couple of years for Georgetown basketball, but it's nice to hear that. It's nice to hear that they, that they don't lose the games before they happen. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's, You know, another testament to coaching right there. They always feel prepared going into the game. Um, And I think an an underrated thing about how things have gone since since the COVID break, for sure, is for the first time in a while, Coach Ewan kind of has his rotation. He's always been a guy that, you know, has always been playing around with who's going to be in the game, giving people chances, you know, people leaving the program, people being injured. But over the last few games, you've been seeing a starting lineup of Blair, Belay, Pickett, Wahab, and Harris. Carey's going to get his minutes off the bench. Ego um, Hefe is going to get the backup minutes behind um, Wahab. Sibley might play a couple minutes in there to give people a rest, but that's it, you know, and that's kind of, the better teams have a set rotation. They're not just running through the end of the bench, trying to find people who are going to give a spark. And, you know, we can, we can debate how that might hurt Kobe Clark or TJ Berger's development, but it's working, you know, if they want winning games, we might say, let's play some kids some more. I know early in the season, I was like, let's play the kids. But they're winning. It's working. People are accepting their roles, and it's it's exciting. Um, I'm excited to see how they play in the Big East tournament. Um, I think they have a real shot of winning it. I think it sounds ridiculous, but I'm going to say it. And you know, when this team brings in some talent, uh, some more talent next year with Muhammad, with Matambo, with these players, and if 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 Coach Ewan can get these roles figured out, that's going to be a good team, man. A good team.
0: Yeah, the test the test is definitely not over with Coach Ewing. Um, they they need to they need to win with the, with with um, with greater talent. That hundred percent agree there. Um, and they they do have the potential to uh, they do have the potential to win in the Big East tournament. Um, yeah, I, I I agree I agree with what you said. I think I I just think that. Um, I I think that you're right in that the great teams have a, have a kind of a set rotation and you, and you like the prime, it it sounds so obvious, but the primary objective should always be to win. And if it comes at the expense of younger players not playing, then it's almost like a good problem to have if you're winning. And I know like, it sounds kind of ridiculous sitting here at, at a sub 500 record and, and, you know, it would take a lot to it would take a lot to even get to the NIT, much less the tournament. Uh, but I I do think that winning is the primary objective. And whatever rotation you have to use to get wins, you go with that. And rotations don't always have to be so deep either. Like 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 you think about like Virginia, for example, you, you all, always think about them running seven or eight guys and and they've. And they've been and they've been a cons- consistent model of success in the last decade or so. So, um, so yeah, rotations don't necessarily have to be super super deep. And um, yeah, he's cooking that gumbo. He's cooking that gumbo. <laughs>
1: um, speaking of next season, uh,
0: a, a lot of
1: talk has been going on, at least in the circles you and I are in, about which seniors are going to use their extra year of eligibility. Um, to be here, which ones might go, what it's going to be like. Um, And so Georgetown is, you know, there's going to be decisions on the shoulders of Pickett, on the shoulders of Blair and the shoulders of Belay. Um, I I know earlier on in the season, I was like, okay, you know, Pickett's probably going to go somewhere else where he can be on a, on a tournament bound team can really, you know, be a good role player there. Blair might feel good about himself. The thing is, is all these guys, they love, they love it here. They love it at Georgetown. And I, I, that seems evident to me, at least. Um, I can't pretend to be in their heads, but you know, they really buy into the Georgetown community. They're active on Twitter, kind of talking to Georgetown fans. They love playing for coach Ewing, It seems, do you see a scenario where all three are back?
0: I do. I, I mean, I think, I think if obviously we don't have as much information on whether um, Javon Blair, Jamarco Pickett are going to go the pro route. Um, but I, I think that it, it would be a surprise to see them playing at another, at another, uh, at another college. I think that, I think that if there was a, like there's a pretty good, well-defined time to get out of the program, if you didn't want to be here. Um, and they've, they've stuck through it. They've stuck through it for four years and they've paid their dues and they've had, they've had ups and downs for sure. But, um, but ultimately they, they've, they've stuck it out with coach Ewing. Uh, They were, they were his first recruits. Right. And so it, the idea that they would, that they would leave for no money seems a little bit, seems a little strange to me uh although if if there's pro teams involved uh in various various locations around the world um that that changes the that changes their calculus a little bit but but i i've said this before and i'll keep stressing it you can't expect teams of of freshmen to consist to be consistent and to win at this level like like, like I, I know, I know Kentucky pulled off a great upset today against Tennessee, but it just in general, you you cannot expect that you need, you need the upperclassmen who have been through the wars, who have, um, you know, who, who understand the speed of the game, who understand what Coach Ewing is looking for. And so I, even though you're, you know, you're a little bit more uncertain on, um, on Chudy, I would like to see them all back. I would. you you just, you can't get You can't get enough of that experience.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, especially with the fact that there pretty much is no junior class right now, Um, you know, you know, Carrie would be the one player um, technically in that class. And, and, you know, we can't forget Jaden Robinson, the veteran voice off the bench. Um, But, you know, this team could definitely use them next year. I would love to see them back and, you know, that would be a, a pretty nasty core there. Um, But you know, every every team's gonna have these guys. You know, (laughs) I swear if I see Cole Gillespie next year, um,
0: oh my god, um, I I don't know what I'm gonna do. He's 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 one of the more punchable guys in the Big (laughs) East, and I I I speak I I speak on behalf of everyone, not only Georgetown fans, but everyone who's just a fan of another Big East team. I saw um, UConn no escalators. On, uh, on Twitter he he said he said that um, Fremantle and Gillespie were his um, were his top two uh, punchable guys and I, I that's pretty solid analysis it's,
1: a, it's, it''s it's a good number right there uh, let's look ahead a little bit before we sign off today um, Definitely for the women, you know, like we've said all along, um, we're not exactly expecting some wins necessarily coming out of this, um, but we are expecting continued development. I'd love to see Ransom not turning over the ball nine times a game. Um, But in terms of scheduled games, they have three left for the Big East tournament. Um, They're at home against Villanova, and then they head out to St. John's and to Xavier. Um, That leads up to the end of February. Um, before the tournament starts in March. A couple tough, tough competitors there. Um, But, you know, with the way they played um, against Seton Hall, this is a team that can stick with uh, other teams in the middle of the conference and might be able to pick up a win uh, somewhere in there. So um, they'll be interesting games to watch at the very least. Yeah, I think on the women's side, um, Xavier –
0: at Xavier, I'm looking at that. That that's a game that we that we possibly can win. Uh, Xavier's having a tough year too, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, uh, and they've had a tough go over the last couple of years. So um, versus Villanova will be a pretty difficult game. Um, they bring in the Big East, They bring in Maddie Seagrass, who's a star in the Big East. Uh, at Saint John's is is not an easy place to play either, but um, you. What what we do know is that they will compete, and um, hopefully they can hopefully they can pick up a win uh, in in these last couple games. And then on the men's side, uh, they'll be renewing their rivalry with UConn on Tuesday, which I'm very excited for. Uh, they also have games against DePaul and Xavier before they conclude the season at UConn. Um, and every every game is winnable for 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 this men's team. Um, they've been underestimated, they've been counted out and, uh, and, uh, they're playing their best basketball of the year and having a, having a ton of fun while doing it, I think. So, um, we'll see how it goes down.
1: It's interesting being this late in the year and they're going to be facing all these teams for the first time due to COVID, um, postponements and different rescheduling. So, You know, there isn't that film to go off of. Obviously, every team is different. Obviously, I haven't played playing UConn lately. But like you said, every game is possible. Every game is winnable. And I know for me, I'm most excited because there are no more games on the CBS Sports Network um, to end out this year. Oh, my God. Which will be a win. (laughs) We got three Fox Sports ones and a a, a cable CBS. Um, So they're going to be fun games to watch. Um, Everyone is winnable. Um, but it can't overlook any of these guys as St. John's showing us today. can't look, overlook DePaul. I know I was before you said that a couple minutes ago. Um, I don't know. It feels, it feels good to be a Georgetown fan right now.
0: Does, uh, quick DePaul update. They're up six with, uh, 38 seconds to go, uh, at St. John's game's not over, but, uh, as long as they, as long as they don't completely, completely collapse, um, they they will pick up a pretty good win and uh, completely erase any hopes of St. John's making March Madness. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm really glad not to have any more games on CBS Sports Network. I'm, dude. If if I have to if I have to listen to Pete Galen call uh, call a Georgetown game one more time, I I am gonna lose it. Um, and and they they had some scoreboard problems during the game. Like there's just nothing positive I could say about CBS Sports Network, and and also there's their like their actual like official streaming site where they like where they have the game is not good. Like their 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 stream is consistently like a minute to a minute thirty behind in terms of game time, and uh, Fox Fox Sports' stream is definitely um, definitely much much better and closer to real time around 30 seconds, 45 seconds behind uh, in terms of game time. So much appreciated that the last, uh, that the last games that aren't broadcasted on national television are on Fox FS one. And the commentators also know the big East a little bit better because they've, they've called a ton of big East games. And so they're a little bit more knowledgeable on the teams and they don't uh, they don't say they don't say ridiculous things that don't make any sense. So um, that's actually one of my beefs with uh, with not only commentators but college basketball journalism in general. It's just that like it's so it's it's so hard to be an expert if you're if you're nationally based. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like 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 reading some of the things that national writers will say about say about Georgetown or about other Big East teams is just doesn't make a whole lot of sense and if you pay attention to the league you would know that that's not right but at the same time like I only pay attention to the league I don't I don't I I couldn't tell you the first thing about the Pac-12 so uh which is the JUCO conference anyway so um yeah that that's kind of how I that's kind of how I feel and we went into a little bit of a, a little bit of a tangent here but um society has progressed past the need past the need for um cbs sports network
1: uh really 100 that's, that's the trouble with being a student journalist or a journalist, a, a basketball college basketball journalist in general um during a pandemic we're not at the we're mcdonough slash cap one we're on the same streams as everybody else trying to do our best um our group chat today was going off like no one actually knew what the score was no not a single person really <laughs> told you what the score was at a certain point um yeah you want to sign us off buddy
0: yeah, uh, two things uh, before we sign off. First off, shout out to um, David for, 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 for an excellent Twitter debut today. And uh, shout out to Haley for covering a game that did not have the proper score on the TV screen or in the live stat monitor um, for like most of the first half. So shout out, shout out to both of you for pulling through, doing a great job. And um, also shout out to Tristan for coming up with an excellent potential Rothsteinism for when um, for when the boys get get good again and become nationally relevant. Uh, Georgetown basketball, or it's like it's like Patrick Ewing, gumbo master, or Patrick Ewing, master chef. Like like, I like he definitely he definitely knew that when he definitely. He definitely made the first gumbo comment intentionally. Like, like he knew that this was this was gonna be something that we all latched on to. And he, he just had to think of he just had to think of one good thing. And so um uh, so uh and it hope worked. To see more next year. It it worked, it worked. Hope to see more of that next year. And uh, this this concludes this episode, but uh, stay tuned for the next one as both the men's and the women's team come down the stretch and make their final push towards the Big East tournament.
1: Follow us, uh, do you voice sports um, and keep it with us for the rest of the year. Thanks everybody.